know, one of the great tactics of the devil that succeeds, uh, even when we don't think he's succeeding, is to, to trash God in our minds, to undermine God. You remember when he approached Eve, what did he do? He immediately sowed doubt about God's intentions for them, God's, God's um, activities towards them. He, he, he caused Eve to doubt the goodness of God. So we're going to see today in the story, probably the most familiar parable Jesus ever gave us uh, on the prodigal son. We're going to see that God is a good God, and God is a forgiving God, and God is a gracious God and a merciful God, and a God who runs toward us. As soon as we say the word repent, God runs towards us. Amen? So I'm going to quickly read through the story. You guys stand with me, and you're going to get an extra uh, crown in heaven for standing as long as it's going to take to read this story. And then you can be seated. Amen? Now, Luke chapter 15. I'm reading out of the Living Bible just because it made it uh, so easy to understand. Jesus gives this parable. A man had two sons. When the younger told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. Wow. Everybody say attitude. His father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and took a trip to the far country. And there he wasted all his money on, uh uh-oh, parties and prostitutes. About the time his money was gone, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. And the boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the swine looked good to him. And no one gave him anything. In other words, he's reduced to eating pig's food and nobody's helping him in the far country. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, I love that phrase, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have enough food and to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming and was filled with loving pity. And ran towards him and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, of course, this is a rehearsed speech. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm not worthy to be even be called your son. Verse 22, but his father said to his servants, totally ignoring what he said, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and a jeweled ring for his finger and shoes and kill the calf we have in the fattening pen. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost and is found. So the party began. Isn't that a great story? Father, we just thank you for your blessing today. And thank you, Lord, for bringing people home who may have drifted, touching people who have never known you, and encouraging those of us that are walking with you that, Lord, you are right next to us every step of the way. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, God is good all the time.
Amen. Now, as I said, this is probably Jesus' best-known parable. If you, if you say to almost anybody out there in the culture, uh, do you know about the prodigal son? Most everybody can at least recognize that title, the prodigal son. Now, let's just look at what Jesus presents us. Now, you'll note that it's Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, there's three things lost. There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. Jesus is dealing with lost things in chapter 15. He's letting us know uh, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The coin was lost from neglect. The sheep was lost from straying. And the son is lost by rebellion. But all three lost things were lost for a reason. Now, the son was lost. The son walked away from God. Now, we look at at what Jesus gives us, and here's what we have. The story is about a household consisting of three main characters, a father and two sons. They're under the same roof, but in some very real ways, they're all home alone. And that's why I'm calling this series Home Alone, because you have three people under the same roof, but they're all in different, meaningful, important ways alone. They're all home alone, though they're under the same roof. Though there's three people there, there's really three individuals that are separate. And that happens all the time in houses. The father is a good, benevolent, merciful, forgiving father. And he's he's great. He represents God the Father. Jesus always, in his parables, uh, he, he almost always, somebody in the parable stands for God. And the father in this parable is God the Father. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a forgiving father. Yet he's alone in that his two sons aren't with him or like him in some key ways. So though he's got the two boys there, he's still there alone in some important ways. The younger son we just read about has grown to resent the father and his household. He wants out. Now, the younger son in this story is going to represent a backslider, not an apostate. An apostate walks away and says, I want nothing to do with God. I want nothing to do with Christ. I want nothing to do with anything that has to do with Jesus. I renounce Christianity and I denounce Christ. That's an apostate. The backslider is somebody who knows the father, but for whatever reason, and we're going to see why this young man hemorrhaged out of the home, for whatever reason, they walk away from God. That's a backslider. So that's the younger son. So you have the father representing God, the younger son representing a backslider, and then there on the other side of the house, there's an older brother. And the older brother, we're going to see next week, is very dutiful, he's very obedient, he's very conscientious, he never causes a problem, yet though he's in the father's house, he doesn't reflect the father's character. Though he's next to the father, he's not like the father. He's different. And he represents a religious person. The elder story, or elder brother in this story represents a religious man filled with self-righteousness and a condescending Pharisee mentality because when the younger son comes home and the father forgives him and embraces him and loves on him and takes him back into the fold, the elder brother doesn't understand it. 
He doesn't understand the Father's mercy because he's rigid, he's pharisaical, he's unforgiving, he's religious, he's heavy-handed. So he's with the Father, but he's not like the Father. So the younger son is alone in the house because nobody has his terrible attitude like him. The elder brother is alone in the house because though he's like the, though he's with the father, he's not like the father. And the father is alone in the house because his two boys are separated from him in key ways. So all three of them are home alone in that something. So we have here in Jesus' parable a highly dysfunctional home. Now, I believe all homes are dysfunctional to a point, so wipe your brow and say amen. I believe every home has a level of dysfunction because we're all fallen, we all have skewed natures, and so we're all going to have some dysfunction, amen? But this home is really dysfunctional because you have this wonderful father, you have one son that's distant from him because he resents him, you have another son who isn't like him at all, though he's with him, he's not like him, his, his, his attitude, his his uh, religion, his, his worldview is very different. But today I want to focus on the younger brother, the rebel, the backslider. Because he's like so many in the church today. Now I'm not pointing at you, you're in church, praise God. But we need to look at this because Jesus gave us this parable for a reason. Uh, this younger son is like a lot of people in the church today that, that used to love Jesus, used to be obedient to the scriptures, but have decided to walk away and see what the world has to offer. They may even be in the house of God. Th their body is here, but their heart is not. See, see, coming into a church house does not get you right with God. What gets you and I right with God is repentance and obeying the Lord and walking in the Spirit and walking with Jesus every day. You, you can be right with God. You can be right with God sitting in a ditch, and you can be wrong with God sitting in a multi-million dollar church house. This younger son was in the house, but not of the house. The older brother was in the house, but not of the father. And both of them needed a divine correction. But now the younger son... I want to look at the younger son, and let's just see what Jesus shows us about him. Because, you know, nobody understood human nature like our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Nobody understood people like Jesus Christ. So he's painting an accurate picture of what happens in the hearts of a lot of people when he's telling us about this younger son. First thing we see about him is he's deceived. The younger son is deceived. He's believed a lie. He, what's the lie? He's become convinced that he's being cheated from having fun and being cheated from really experiencing life by being stuck in the father's house. He's believed a lie. Nobody in the house feels like he does about the house. He's totally alone in his bad attitude and discontent, totally alone. So he is home alone. He's about to backslide in the story. And we see what leads up to his backsliding. His body is in the Father's house, but his heart is not. His mind is turned to the far country. Now, the far country in this parable illustrates the world, the, the attraction of the world, the glitter and the glamour and the lure of the world. This young man has apparently heard stories about the far country, about the wine, the women, the song. 
He's heard, he's heard tantalizing things about what is in the distance, beyond the Father's house, away from the Father's house, and away from the Father. He's listened to these stories. And the more that he's listened to about the far country and how much fun it is, what a blast it is, the more dissatisfied he has become with the Father's house. So the first thing that happens to him is discontentedness through deception. He begins to feel like he's being cheated, like he is being kept from really enjoying and experiencing life. And so he becomes dissatisfied with the Father's house, the Father's rules, the Father's ways. Every day he wakes up a little more dissatisfied and discontent and his bad attitude grows and he begins to think, if I'm ever going to live, I've got to get out of here. I am not going to stay in this father's house anymore. I want out. I want to have fun. I want to go do what I'm hearing about. And he began to listen to the lure and the pull of the world. Listen, folks, the lure and the pull of the world out there is very strong. That's why every day we need to be in the word of God and in prayer, our nose in that word. Because David, the psalmist said, by by your word, your word has kept me pure. Your word has kept me from wandering. Your word has kept me tight with you, Lord. Your word has kept me close to you, O God. The word of God. You see, this young man has been approached by the tempter, and the tempter is beginning to succeed, and he has convinced him that he's got to get out of there and go experience the world. So he goes to his father, and he demands, he doesn't ask him, he demands his inheritance now. He so typifies the entitlement attitude that's out there in our culture right now. He said, you know what, because the, the, the inheritance was a gift, but he acted like it was owed to him. And so he said, give me my inheritance right now. Listen to what he said. You owe me, Father, so give me what you owe me now. I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. Can you imagine a kid looking at you and going, you know, I was, I was thinking about waiting till you die, but I'm sick of waiting for you to die. I want my inheritance now. How many of you can say that would not bless me? Right? Interestingly, the father, watch this, the father doesn't try to talk him out of it. The father doesn't argue with him. The father doesn't try reasoning with him. And he doesn't refuse to give it to him. What's up with that? Let me tell you why. Because there are times when God will give us what we demand. Knowing that our minds are closed to his wisdom. And we won't listen even if he talks. We won't listen. And when God knows That no matter what he says to us, what the word tells us, we have made up our mind to go a certain direction. Here's what God will do. He'll lift his hand and he will say, all right, go for it. You're going to have to find out on your own that life in the world and life in sin does not fulfill. And he'll let you go. It says in the Psalms, about Israel in the wilderness. It says, God gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. And that's what happened here. The father said, go for it. I can't stop you. Just remember, the porch light will be on when you come to your senses. Amen? So the young man packs his bags and walks away, leaving the father in the distance and heads off to the far country he's heard so much about, and he has no idea what is waiting for him. He has no idea where he's going to end up and what his experiences are going to be. And so the second thing we see with this young man is he goes full throttle into abandonment to sin. 
he totally abandons to sin. On arriving to the far country, the runaway son dives headfirst into a destructive lifestyle. The Bible says once there, he wasted all of his money on parties and prostitutes. What a sad thing to hear. Parties and prostitutes, prostitutes and parties, loose living, loose friends, loose women, a loose lifestyle. He totally gives in. The father's a distant memory. Now I'm in the far country. This is where I've always wanted to be. And I'm having the time of my life. I, I can just imagine that he, he was thinking something like this. I should have done this a long time ago. Look what I've been missing. I was crazy to stay in my father's house as long as I did. I should never have listened to all those religious people telling me that the father's house was best for me. I'm so glad I got out of here and I came to the far country because I am party and hearty and having the time of my life. This is a blast. Woohoo! People do it all the time from church. They say, I'm so sick of the house of God. I'm so tired of all those rules and regulations. I'm so sick of Christianity and all the restraints that are on me. I've been reading about the world, hearing about the world, listening to the world's music, reading the world's books, reading the world's magazines, listening to the world's celebrities, and everything that I look at and everything I hear, it pulls on me. I'm not enjoying life sitting here in church like a bunch of fuddy-duds. I'm ready to go and enjoy life. And they walk away from the Father's house, and they walk away from the faith, and they walk away from prayer, and off they go into to the world, to experience the world for themselves. And they have no idea they've walked into the mouth of the lion. Jesus says his life consisted of going from one party to the next, one all night bender to the next. He's drinking, he's partying, he's living in immorality. And day by day, more and more, every single morning he wakes up more of his father's inheritance is squandered away. And I want you to notice something here, that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Do you know that's a Bible verse? Uh, this young man was experiencing pleasure in sin for a season. See, that's the lie about sin. Can I tell you the truth about sin? It's a lie. It lies to you because it promises what it can't give you. Sin says if you will do what I'm tempting you to do, You'll be fulfilled, you'll be happy, you'll have peace, you'll have this, that, or the other, but sin never pays. Can I just, as a preacher up here, tell you the truth to my church today? Sin never pays. Sin is always a lie. Sin is always a deception because it, it promises you what it cannot deliver, what it will never deliver, because even though you have pleasure in sin for a season, I'm going to quote an old preacher, payday is coming someday. See, that's what it looked like in verse 13. In verse 13, he's having the time of his life. In verse 13, he's doing everything he dreamed about when he was in the father's house. Every lust, every wicked desire he is abandoning to. That's verse 13. But can I tell you, church, verse 14 always comes. Verse 14 always comes because in verse 14, the story takes a drastic turn. We note that one day the party was over. You know, the party is always over. The party always ends. Amen. You can only drink so much, smoke so much, take so much, snort so much, do so much. One day you wake up and that party is over, O-V-E-R, over. 
The laughter fades always. Uh, the far country friends disappear. Where'd all my friends go? Well, you know where they went? The money's gone. That's where they went. And the curtain closes on the runaway son's crazy, wild, good times. It says first his money ran out. The money always runs out. The money always runs out. See, you can't really go on a sin bender without some money. But you see, the thing about sin is it takes everything you've got. Sin subtracts every time. God multiplies, but sin subtracts every time. Whatever you had before you went into sin, some of it's going to be gone after you sin. Because sin subtracts all his money. He woke up and realized, I'm broke. He, he, he awoke broke. His money ran out. His money ran out. Everything his father had laid aside for him, his, his, his future, his inheritance, what would have sustained him throughout his life was chewed up and gone. Now, here's the sad thing. It was wasted on people and wasted on things that were now nowhere to be found. Oh, no. Far country friends are always fair weather friends. They always leave you when the good times are over. Do you hear me today? They'll walk out on you when the good times are over. When the, when, when the sin is done, when the money is gone, when, when you can't give them what you were giving them, they will always walk because they were never with you. They were never with you. They were never for you. They were only there when you were uh, helping them live the way they wanted to live. But, but, but when the money's gone and the party is over and the curtain has come down, they always walk away. Your lovers will walk away. Your, your so-called friends will walk away. Because far country people are far country mentalities. Amen. Don't shout me down, church. I'm preaching pretty good here. I'm wanting you to know the truth. It's very, very quiet in here. You see, I see people all the time, they hook up with far country friends. And that's one of the first signs somebody's going to get out of church, get out of the house of God, get out of the things of God. Because it, here's what it comes down to. You are who you run with. You are who you run with. And, and if you run with the wrong kind of people, they're going to take you to the wrong kind of places, doing the wrong kind of things. That's a fact. You say, no, Pastor Jeff, my faith is so strong. I'm going to hook up with some wrong people and I'm going to make them right. Nine times out of 10, they will make you wrong. That's why the Bible says the wise should choose his friends very carefully. But see, this young rebel son, first thing he did was made far country friends. And they dropped him like a hot potato when the money was gone. And then a second blow came. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. A great famine swept over the land. The far country that had so appealed to him has now become his enemy. Because the world will call you, the world will lure you, the world will, will, will sing a sweet song to you, but once you go into that world, it will chew you up and eat you alive. Have you ever noticed about the woods? The woods, the forests are so beautiful from the outside. You can look at a beautiful forest uh, 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 you know, from a distance, but, but go ahead and walk into it and try to live in it without some insect repellent and a weapon or two. Because that forest will eat you alive. It's beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, everything in that forest is against you. And that's what the world is like. Everything in it is against you. It will eat you alive once you're in it. Amen. 
Thank you. <laughs> and right when it didn't seem it could get any worse, it got worse. It always does. Because the runaway son ends up in a pig pen. Now remember, he's Jewish. And to the Jew, swine was forbidden. And so here's a Jewish young man, and he is now forced in the far country. He's lost everything. His friends are gone. He's alone. He's desolate. He's betrayed. He's forsaken. He's reaping the consequences of living wild, of of departing from the Father. And now he's so desperate that he's got to lower himself and go get a job taking care of the very thing that is forbidden to him. Pigs. Oink, oinks. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the swine, looked good to him, and he began to chomp down on pig's food. Have you ever noticed when you backslide, you end up eating things you never thought you'd eat? Going where you never thought you'd go? Doing where you ne- what you never thought you'd do? This is what you call the proverbial bottom of the barrel, uh, barrel for this young man. It's not at all what he expected when he left the father's house. Hey, I'm going to leave the father's house and go to the far country and have the time of my life. But that's because the devil always hides his hand until the end. Can I say that again? The devil always hides his hand until the end. When your life is destroyed and the trap is sprung, he'll convince you this is what you ought to do. This is where you need to go. This is how you need to live your life. This is the relationship for you. This is the direction for you. And when you take his temptation, you only find out in the end that it was a trap. And it springs on you. And this young man now is waking up not believing where he is. Not believing the way he's ended up. This is always the fate of a child of God that leaves the father's house to pursue the world. But here's the good news. Sitting in a pigsty, alone, forsaken, wretched, surrounded by filth and eating pig's food, Jesus says he came to himself. He came to himself. I love that. He can't really say he came to himself. You know what that means? He had a truthful talk with himself. You know, you know you're in real trouble when the biggest liar in your life is you and you're lying to you about you. Y'all catch that? That wasn't even in my notes. I came up with that just now. But it's true. You know you're in real trouble when the biggest liar in your life is you and you're lying to you about you. Oh, I'm okay when you're not okay. Oh, I'm right with God when you're not right with God. Uh, I'm going the right direction when you ain't going the right direction at all. But you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself about yourself. This young man said, you know what? I'm sick of the lies. I'm sick of lying to myself. I'm tired of lying to myself. What has it gotten me? This whole far country excursion has been a great big joke. I should never have done this. And he starts being truthful with himself about the path he's chosen, the decisions he's made, his lifestyle, and most importantly, folks, his broken relationship with his father. He starts thinking about it. Sitting there in the silence of the pig pen, his thoughts turned with longing to his father and the home he'd left because now he's reduced to nothing. And he realizes, I had it all, and I walked away. 
I had the best and I left it. You know, folks, let, let people say what they want. I love the house of God. I love the church, not just a building, but the people of God fellowshipping. That's why it's so good to be back. Amen. After, after being quarantined, it's so good to be back. It's one thing to do things online, but online, I, I can't say hi to you to your face. I can't touch you. I can't pray with you. I can't hug you online. That's why it's so good to be here in person. I love the house of God. And I'm going to tell you something. This parable is true. There is nothing out there in that world. It's a lie. It's a bunch of glitter and glamour. And behind it is nothing but a vacuum and emptiness and despair and regret and shame. That's it. So we can boil this young man's thoughts down to four words. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? And then he makes the best decision of his life. Here it is. I will. Everybody say, I will go home. I will go home to my father. Watch this. His reflection led to repentance and his repentance led to returning. I will go home. And then it says, he arose. He did something about where his thoughts led him. He didn't just say, I shouldn't have done this. No, no. Then he, then he got up and said, I'm going home. He arose. He began walking towards the Father. Now, the whole parable has led to the climax of what's about to unfold. The whole parable has led to what we're about to read. Jesus said, while he was still a long distance away, his Father saw him. You know what that tells me? The father's eyes were peeled for him, looking for him. Every day the father was looking for this boy to return home. Every day the father was longing for him to return home. Every day the father was hoping he would return home. The father knew because he didn't try to stop him. He knew what he was going to discover on his own. And now he's looking. His eye is peeled on the horizon. And in the distance, he sees a speck. He recognizes the speck walking towards him. It grows larger and larger. He realizes it's his son. And the whole idea behind this is before that boy had taken 10 steps, the father was running towards him. Isn't that beautiful? He saw him coming and he was filled with pity. Everybody say, and ran. Now the boy's walking and he's rehearsing what he's going to say to the father. You know, I shouldn't have done it. I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just hire me as a servant. And he's going through this rehearsed speech. He has no idea that as soon as the father sees him coming, as soon as he takes the first few steps back towards the father, the father is running, 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 running towards him, running towards him. And he gets up to him. Now, maybe the boy thought he was running to hit him, running to tackle him and say, what, what, what did you do? That was so stupid. But no, he doesn't come running up to him to judge him. He doesn't come running up to him to punish him. He comes running up to him to embrace him and to kiss him and to receive him back into his sonship. He runs towards him. Now, now why did Jesus put this in this parable? He, because he's painting the way the father really is. This is the way the father really is. When you and I say, I went the wrong way, father. I took a wrong turn. I made some really bad decisions. I've messed up my life. I've so messed up my life. There's nobody to blame but me. I messed up my life. Nobody made me make those decisions. I messed up my life. 
Forgive me, Father. Forgive me. When you own it and you don't blame somebody else and you don't blame your upbringing and you don't blame your environment and you don't say, well, my granddaddy was a drunk and that's why I'm a drunk or my granddaddy was in drugs. That's why I'm in drugs. No, 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 no. No, this young man owned it. He said, I did it. I walked away. I went to the far country. And he came back to the father and he owned it. As long as you blame somebody else, you will never grow. But as soon as you own your own sin, you will grow. You will grow. The father ran, embraced, kissed. It's such a powerful picture. You got to picture it. The prodigal didn't expect this at all. He is completely blown away by the love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness of the Father. But it didn't stop there. And I want to close with this. He said, put a robe on him. Now, folks, Jesus never wasted a word or a thought. Anything that's in here is here for a reason. He put a robe on him. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Why did that matter? Because the son returned in sinful rags. And the father removed the rags and put a robe on him. And the robe was picturesque of honor, honor. He restored him to a life of honor. Honor, not shame, honor. He said, put a ring on his finger. What was the ring? The ring represented family and the restoration of sonship. He said, put a, put a, a family ring on his finger again because he's back in the fold. So he gave him family identity. Amen. Do you know that you and I have been adopted into the family of God? We have family identity. We are a son or a daughter of God. We have family identity. And we, have, we don't have a ring like this. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the seal of our redemption. We have family identity. And he put shoes on his feet. You know what I think that represents? The shoes represent being restored to a godly path. He put shoes on his feet. Now he's walking in the right direction. And then he threw a feast. A feast was a celebration. You know, the Bible says when one person repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. They rejoice. They throw a party. You talk about party hardy. You ought to see a heavenly party. Amen? Stand to your feet with me, would you? Now the message of this parable is clear. I want you to say these with me. The world will never satisfy you. Sin always subtracts from you. The Father will forgive you. Mm -hmm. And the porch light is always on for the repentant. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? I want you to see the Father's house. I want you to see that porch light on. It's the Father hoping you return home. It's the Father leaving the light on lest you miss it. It's the Father calling you back home. I don't know everybody here, but maybe you're here in body, but you haven't been here in heart. Your heart's not with the Lord. Listen, I know exactly what that's like. I know that feeling. Every day is a battle. Sometimes one battle 
stacks up on another and then another until you just feel like you can't take another step and you become disillusioned and perhaps you, you just drift from God. There are people who have said, you know, so many things went wrong in my life, I'm, I'm just not going to seek him anymore. Or some temptation has lured you away. Wrong kind of relationship. Wrong kind of people. Wrong kind of context. And has lured you away. I want you to know the porch light is on. <laughs> the porch light is on. It's not always going to be on though, church. The day's going to come when Christ is going to come get his church, take us away. And this world's going to go from dark to major dark. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Today, today. So with our heads bowed, I'm going to pray a prayer. You can say, Jeff, I, I have drifted. I'm here, but my heart has drifted. And I want to return to the Father while the porch light is on. Or maybe you've never known Jesus. Churches are full of people that don't really know Jesus. And I want to invite you to come to him today because the porch light is on. This is the day of salvation. If you are right with him, we're going to rejoice in just a moment that our God is a good God. But I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you need to come back to him, pray this with me right now. Why not do it right now? Don't wait. What, what would keep you from it? Do it right now. Come back. Come back. Come back home. Say with the prodigal, I will arise. I will arise. So pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved and reconciled to the Father. Forgive me for drifting. Forgive me for the lukewarmness of my life. I will arise today and come home to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And forgive me, Lord, of all my sin and come into my heart as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with our heads bowed, you can say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? I prayed that with you. Raise your hand. Let me see you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Several of you. Robert, come, come down here with me real quick. Now, this is Robert, and we want to give you something before you leave today because you prayed with us. And uh, we want to hand you some things we want you to take home and read. It's very, very important that now that you've prayed this prayer, you let God put those shoes on you and you, you start walking in the right path. Amen. Somebody says to me, my life is a terrible mess. Oh, what a mess my life is. What can I do? I say, start walking right with God. That's it. Start walking right with God. Amen. So well, tell me more, some, something more profound. Start walking right with God. Because there is healing in a righteous life. Amen? Let him put those shoes on you. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Amen.